This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to today's episode of Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and today my guest is Jordan Greenfield. Jordan is an entrepreneur and founder of Hubi, a creator-first, invite-only platform that helps creators stand out in a crowded digital world. The founder of several other companies, one of which strives to help Gen Z and millennials make a difference in the world. Jordan was also, at one time, a professional lacrosse player. All that and more coming up in our conversation. Jordan, it's an honor to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jay. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor, my brother. So, Jordan, before we get into Hubi, before we get into all your entrepreneurship and your lacrosse, can you tell us a little about your childhood and what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up the youngest of four here in the suburbs of, of Boston, Mass. I had three older sisters growing up, so I was the little prince, <laughs> but I had a great childhood. I had a very, very close relationship with my father. As you know, he lost his father at a young age, who was also named Jordan Greenfield. And so that relationship has always been very, very important to me. But I was very involved in athletics growing up. My sisters were very involved in musical theater and very involved in the community here. But for me, it was always about competing. I love competing from an early age. And my weekends were mostly filled with competing on some form of sports field. Now, you had mentioned about your father. Was he an early inspiration or early mentor towards you? Absolutely. He's my best friend. I think that anytime you lose your parents at a young age and move on to have kids of your own, I think there's a different type of emphasis and different type of love that's built through that. And so, especially being the only boy of someone who lost their father at a young age, I mean, my relationship with him has always been very, very important. He's always been a, a big inspiration of mine. That's amazing. That is amazing. Having that as an early mentor, as your father, your best friend, your hero, that's amazing. Now, you talked a lot about competing and about fitness and lacrosse. You were a professional lacrosse player for Boston Canyons. What was that like? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. I was actually telling this story the other day to some investors that are coming in on the Hoobie front, but the reason that I actually played for the Cannons, and you'll probably get a kick out of this, Jay, because this is probably a similar story to how we met, but there was a gentleman by the name of Rob Hale, who's one of the best entrepreneurs here in the Boston area. He owns a company called Granite Telecommunications, and he's one of the owners of the Celtics, and he, he had owned the Boston Cannons at the time, mm. and I was just jumping into my entrepreneurial journey, and I couldn't get in touch with this guy. And I was about two years out of college at that time. I was going to play in the professional league right out of school. Took a year to jump into working. It was just my body was kind of exhausted after college lacrosse. And as you know, now it's getting more serious with what Paul Rabel's done with the new league. But you couldn't really make a living off of lacrosse back then when I was coming out of college. It was more of like a part-time summer thing for these athletes. But I couldn't get in touch with Rob Hale and I got drafted by his team. And so I got invited <laughs> to the tryouts and I ended up going in and making his team just so that I could get some FaceTime with him. So then I had a full summer to go and <laughs> harass him on the sideline. So I did end up playing there. It was a great experience. It's a great networking thing. And lacrosse has done so much for me throughout the years in terms of relationships and opportunities it's opened up. So it's always nice to, uh, to get back to the sport a little bit. Your story reminds me a lot about when I was coaching in the Arena Football League. I was making like $300 a week. Yeah. I had a full-time job on the side. So it's, it's almost the same thing back in the 90s when I was doing it. So is fitness still a big part of your life? 
No, it's not. I wish it was. I'm beginning to get more back into it prior to baby Noah joining us last year. The most successful, I'd say six to 12 months of my life were kicking off 2021. And I hit the ground running and I had a fitness back going with one of my buddies. And I was running like seven to 10 miles a day. And it was the best I ever felt. I'm starting to get back into that. But I mean, even when I was playing sports, I would never go for like, I I think cardio is the most important thing. And I'm starting to try and do at least 30 minutes of cardio a day. But for me, the cardio really just is like a cleanse of the brain. When I have all this stress built up, I can feel it. And there's never a morning where I wake up and I go for a five mile run. And then I lash out at someone that, that day or where mm-hmm. the stress becomes too much. If I get out there and I get a four or five mile run in, I feel like I'm literally scraping the plaque off my brain. It's just such a clearer head. And yes, I think the importance of cardio from that standpoint, and then just to the discipline to be able to get a routine and doing that every day. I mean, that's one of the things that I definitely admire about you, but I also have learned to love running because it's a mental game, continuing to push yourself. And I never knew that I could run 10 miles until I had a little competition going with my buddies a couple of years back. But mm-hmm. it's just great to see that you can push your body further than you think. And I think running is a great way to stretch that. Yeah, it is so true. Every morning, you know, I get up and I do anywhere from 10 minutes to 20 minutes, just running. And people are like, well, that's all you do. I'm like, yeah, because I'm cleansing my mind. So I don't look at it as a fitness thing. I look at it as more of a mental thing to get my mind right. So I'm not going to exactly like to lash out on somebody else or in a sense just to keep my stress at a calm level. Have the lesson you learned playing and training for lacrosse carried over into your entrepreneurship, do you think? Absolutely. I I mean, I think the biggest thing about athletics and training is the idea of discipline and the idea of like, if you want to be good at everything, you're going to have to get up and do things every single day that you may not necessarily want to do that day, but it's the recipe for success and the repetition of those things build up in order to get you to where you need to go. So I think the biggest commonality between the two is discipline. Like you need to do things that you don't want to do every day in order to be successful. And that's like the little things. I mean, I love what I do, but there are, there are components and things where you don't want to get up and go for that three mile run every day, but it's something that you know you need to do in order for your body be the right place. And there's similar things in entrepreneurship as well. Yeah. Discipline is a very strong word. It's a very poignant word to use because, you know, being in the world of entrepreneurship in a sense that you have to have that discipline each and every day. What I do is I do the hard things first in the morning. So I do my hardest things. So my day progresses on and gets a little easier. When and where did you get your start in the world of entrepreneurship? I mean, you were right there, Jay. I jumped out of my MBA program at Marquette University because I wanted to get to work and I wanted to start making money. And I had went straight from undergrad to graduate school. And so my peers were out in the working world and I had an opportunity to work at a great job here in Boston. But it became apparent pretty quickly, about two years into my journey at a full-time job here in Boston, that I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to build things from the ground up. And it was something that I couldn't push aside anymore. I wanted to be around entrepreneurial people. I wanted to help build new and meaningful things. And I ended up taking on a consulting gig for another biotech company, a company over in Cambridge that I ended up reaching out to you for. But I had the opportunity to see, and it didn't really matter to me what industry it was, but I had the opportunity to see the idea of You can actually be sitting around a table with three or four people and you can conceptualize ideas 
And then you can actually go to work and take those ideas and build those to a place where you can either take that idea public or a larger company will come in and buy that idea. And for me, that concept of seeing people actually sit down at the table and talk about an idea and actually bring that idea to market, whatever the space may be, like that's the coolest thing in the world for me where it's like you can actually put something out into the world that can become so much bigger than you or those people that were originally sitting around that table. And whether it's like a consumer good, whether it's a tech product, whether it's a biotech product, for me, that idea of building something that then you send off to the into the world that becomes so much bigger than those people sitting around that original table like that's one of the coolest things in the world to me. I remember you and I sat around a table for a, a shower device that the gentleman had a flip shower device. That was actually a great idea. It was a great idea. So I do remember that sitting around a yeah. table. Has entrepreneurship, everyone says it's very cutthroat. Has it been cutthroat for you? Or has it been an easy process? It's been the hardest thing in my life. It's definitely the most rewarding thing in the world. I think that Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn describes the startup world or entrepreneurship as jumping out of a plane and assembling the parachute on the way down. And I think it's so true. I, I think that every single day is a battle. And I'm at the stage now where we've gotten over some of those hurdles where it's a better split where about like 90% of the time we think we are going to take over the world and know we're going to take over the world. And the other 10% of the time, there's that doubt. But in the early going, it's like the 10% of the idea that you're going to take over the world that keeps your juices flowing. And the other 90% is doubt. And are you really going, going to end up making it through the other end? And and we've made it through some inflection points now that have been very powerful for us and have got us to a place where we have some certainty over the next couple of years. But in the early going, I mean, you can go two, three, four years in some of this stuff, building, 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 thinking that at the end, you're going to be able to get rewarded properly for all that work that went into it. And the reality is, is that 99.9% .9 of these projects end up failing before people are even able to pay people back for these projects. And we've gotten through all those inflection points now. But for me, to think about the others out there in the entrepreneurial landscape and why there is some of this like entrepreneurial depression or what happens to people when these projects do actually fail. Like I can only imagine the struggles people go through because you give up all of yourself and commit all yourself for such an extended period of time to one thing. And if that doesn't come to fruition, I don't know how people pick themselves up off the pavement at the end of some of these projects. Yeah. People don't realize how much, not only discipline, but how much, I always think of the thing is 5% of people in this world make things happen, 15% watch and 80% know what the heck is going on. You know, so much of entrepreneurship is failure and people give up so quickly when in a sense that you're right, it is two, three, four years on your point. I call it leading by blind faith. It's that you have to stay focused on this because it may not come to fruition for four five, six years down yeah. the line. It's definitely a marathon, more so than I thought. It is. People don't look at it like that. They think it's a sprint, and that's why so many people do fail. Yeah. In March of 2020, you founded I'm Making a Difference. Can you tell us about the organization and what inspired you to start it? Yeah. I mean, I need to be doing something always. I'm Making a Difference. We founded right at the start of the pandemic, and we were sitting out in like an incubator house in Vegas, and the whole world was shut down. And our business at that point, we were prior to the pandemic more focused on how we could activate creators and celebrities in the physical world as opposed to just through digital experiences. And so our business was at a standstill. 
I have a dear friend by the name of Sam Vagar, who is an incredible, incredible young philanthropist. And Sam has been doing this for years now. He has a nonprofit out of Boston that he founded out of Brandeis University. And he's got Dr. Paul Farmer on his advisory board for that. He's got John Legend. And anytime I feel like we should be doing something more, I reach out to Sam and I had just called Sam and I said, Sam, you have access to all the best doctors in the world. I've got access to some of the biggest people on social in the world. There's got to be something we can do here. And so what we decided on doing was early on, like there was a lot of unknowns about what was actually going on with the pandemic. And all of these influencers, all these celebrities are getting asked questions on their social channels and none of them really knew any of the facts. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to get the best people in the medical space on the same line as some of the people with the biggest social channels in the world so that they could get through those questions, they could ask the appropriate questions, get the information they needed, so then they could turn around and end up sharing that with their audience. And so I really lend that all back to Sam Bagar. I mean, we'd ha- we had probably 150 people on our first Zoom call, the best doctors in the world, like I mentioned, some of the biggest names on social, and just the buy-in from that, and then the ability to turn around. We hosted a lot of Instagram Lives during the pandemic, with a lot of the celebrities and the medical experts on those lives so they could talk through some of these questions. But Sam has one of the best charitable minds in the world. He's one of the most caring kids in the world. And his nonprofit's called Millennial Campus Network, and he's impacted tens of thousands of kids. But he's just someone that's always pushed me to think about the bigger picture and like not only how can we build meaningful stuff on the business side, but also how can we give back to the next generation as well. So that was kind of the goal with them making a difference. That's an ingenious idea that you're actually taking the platforms of influencers who can sit, you know, reach millions of people, you're educating them, and then they're educating their audience. That was an ingenious idea. Now, let's jump into Hubi because I'm excited about Hubi. People should be getting excited about Hubi. What exactly is Hubi and what problem were you trying to solve? Yeah, I mean, in the early going, the Lincoln bio problem was really, if you think about all the different social platforms, so creators have and individuals as a whole have turned to now numerous, numerous social platforms in order to either gather their information or order to share with their audiences. And since inception, like prior to even knowing you, Jay, like I was always, always very intrigued by the future of social. I was a big believer. People thought in like 2015, 16, the war on social was over. You had Facebook, you had Instagram, you had Twitter. People thought we had all the rooms we needed on the web. I was just a big believer that there will always be more of these platforms where there's new expectations about how we should behave on those platforms, new expectations on how those should be used. And we've seen that now happen with whether like the new platforms like Be Real or Snapchat at the time came out after that. But then you have obviously TikTok that's taken over social now. And so I just knew there would continue to be more and more of these platforms and the fragmentation was only going to continue. And so for me, it was more of like this OCD cleanup of the internet thing where it's like, how? <laughs> How can somebody who's a fan of one of these creators possibly pinpoint everything they're doing across the web now? And I mean, you can search stuff on Google, but it's like that what we've built allows those creators and celebrities to tell their narrative about what's important to them in, in any given moment. How we revisited that during the pandemic is everything was happening online. There was all this digital chaos and there were other stagnant sort of microsite builders out there that allowed you to put all these things into one place on social. But we have some of the biggest creator friends in the world that have some of the biggest YouTube audiences or, or podcast audiences. And what was out there in terms of solutions just wasn't doing it for them. And so we ended up going out and building like 10 of these pages manually for our friends and our whole philosophy 
philosophy on it. With the link problem on social, you only have one external link. You can add to an Instagram bio, a Twitter bio, a TikTok bio. And so how can you build as much value in terms of those bio solutions that people can drive their audience back to in order to access anything commerce related, in order to access anywhere else you can find them across social. And so when we ended up seeding about 10 of those to our friends and we had built them in a way where like they couldn't go in and edit them. If they wanted any changes made, we had to go in and make those changes for them. And once we gave those 10 pages out, it was very clear. And this is when I had to pick up the phone and call Nick Perello and, and beg him to build technology for us because it was very clear right away that after we set those first 10 out, we got about 20, 30 coming back to us and saying, hey, my other friend wants this. My other friend wants this. And these are some of the biggest creators in the world. And for us, it was like, okay, it's time to build now. This is proof of concept. People really want these. And the big thing we did different and for us at Hubi, Lincoln Bio was just step one. Like that was just like, we need to provide something of value, get to a critical mass. We wanted to get the best real estate on those, all the social webs in the form of the Lincoln Bios of some of the top names in the world, the Tom Brady's, the Jeff Bezos, the Chris Hemsworth, the Carmelo Anthony's, whoever it is. And that was just step one. But the primary thing that we did different out of the gate in terms of really building for these celebrities and these creators, these people that are launching a new podcast every day, a new YouTube video, a new merch shop, is we really went heavy with integrations with all the other platforms. So like a YouTube, a TikTok, a Spotify where instead of having to go out and manually switch out your YouTube video every day you post a new one, it would just automatically update through the YouTube API so that your page was automatically updated with that new video. And so that's something that we really lent itself to getting these creators onboarded at scale in the early on. That is amazing. And you have people like Tom Brady and Jeff Benzos. That's, that's amazing. So what separates you from like a link tree? The way we look at Linktree is Linktree is really looking to build and replace the future of website builders. So you can think of like the Wix of the world where they want to create a very low friction way to create this splash page and they want to be the platform for everyone. So they don't really focus in on core needs of any one specific group. I mean, they, they have your local mom and pop coffee shop on there. They've got sort of your local yoga instructor who may have 2000 followers on social or whoever it may be. Or you can just have any type of person on social you could find on, on a platform like Linktree. In our eyes, there wasn't that clear focus on creators and celebrities. And so all the functionality we've built for our users, it's really been focused on that use case. And that's really allowed us to build that functionality better than anyone else in the space. But one other thing we noticed early on, Jay, as it pertains to the top A-list celebrities, is they're not really the use case. Like Even if they're using a link tree of the world, they're not the ones actually going in and editing those. It's the team behind the scenes. And so what we ended up doing out of the get-go that allowed us to get some real scale with some of the biggest names of the world is we built for the teams behind the scenes. So oftentimes there's these management teams, there's these publicists that are managing pages for 20 talent, 30 talent, 40 talent at a time. And so we built some incredible admin capabilities and an enterprise offering that allows them to maintain those pages for all of their clients and becoming the best friends with the management teams or the agents or whatever it is in our world. Like that's a good thing because they're mostly the ones that are building for the day to day. So like that's one user group for us is the team behind the A-listers. And then we have these other user groups of like more of like your fashion bloggers who are posting all of their promo links. And then we have more of like our coaches, which is like the life coaches in the Arlands of the world who are selling PDFs or one-on-one -on -one courses. So we have all these different user buckets, but it's a lot more focused than somebody like a Linktree. Now, is it open to anyone? Can anyone join Hoobie? 
Anyone can sign up. So we have, over the last year, we've had right around 50,000 people that have signed up for the platform now. We wow. have about 10,000 creators actively on the platform that reach well over two and a half billion across social now. So we do do have some huge real estate there on, on the creator front. But if you look at companies in our space, and I think in terms of where you can go with something like what we're building, and like I said before, Lincoln Bio is just really step one for us. But if you think about like a cameo of the world, Jay, where you can go and you can request videos from your favorite celebrities, cameo is north of a billion dollar company now. They were valued at north of a billion when they had 40,000 creators on their platform. We'll have 40,000 creators on our platform within the next 12 months. And so we don't need to be a platform that has, and now we have fan accounts as well. So when you purchase content for people's pages, or if you subscribe to their notifications, we are starting to build up a user base of fans on the other side of these creators or celebrities. But in terms of people that have Hubi pages, our active quote unquote members, creators and celebrities, that number never really has to be north of 100,000 for us to be a multi-billion dollar company. Wow, that's amazing. Those numbers are astronomical. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with all the stress? Because I, I know with numbers like that, and then probably you got a lot of employees now, how does a CEO deal with stress? Yeah, I think it goes back to the discipline thing that we were talking about before. I think you need to break this stuff up into steps and you just need to, over the years, you need to start to build up what your recipe is for success. And if you can just like hone in on doing the things you know you need to do on a daily basis instead of looking at the bigger picture and being overwhelmed by that, and you just take it the one step at a time each day when you wake up. I think that's the most important thing is just having your list of things that you know you need to do in order to be successful. And outside of that, like that stuff's out of your control. And so I think the thing that's helped over the last year definitely with the stress is building the right team. I mean, there's nothing that can take stress off of you more than having people around you that you can delegate to and you trust to get the job done. So I think that's incredibly important when you talk about sort of stress management with some of this stuff is it's surrounding yourself with the right people and people you know are capable of getting the job done. You remind me of a quote, we are the average of the five people we hang out with the most. Oh, big time. And it uh, is so true. Surrounding yourself with not only the right people, but the right team is, is very imperative to be a CEO. Now, a lot of our listeners are, are parents and they want to know about that work-life balance of a CEO and entrepreneur. You're a father now and congratulations on that. Thank you, Jay. How are you dealing with that work-life balance with being a father? It's definitely tough. I mean, I found out three months after we had raised 4 million bucks and really started taking this thing for a run that I was going to become a father for the first time. And on 12, 21 of 21, he was born. And so right in like the middle of building this thing. And I mean, for me, like you don't want to miss those, those, I mean, you see like the TikToks that go by of all the cute kids and the, the background voiceover of like, you only have kids for four years, embrace it, don't miss it. And it's like, I do get when I'm staring at my computer for nine hours in a row. And I, I think about Bianca, my better half, who's spending time with Noah. I mean, it's like you don't want to miss the little things. But I think that the balance is when you're away from what you're building, it's like, how can you remove yourself emotionally for that for a couple of hours so that you could be present in the experience with your kids? And I think for me, it's not the lack of time I'm able to spend with Noah because I have the ability to pick where I am in the world. I mean, obviously I have to travel certain times in order to be places, but like I can work from where I need to work. That doesn't mean that I'm not preoccupied all day, 
So when I am able to step away from the computer, how can I remove myself emotionally from sort of this build state and just focus in on being with my baby boy? And so I I think that's the most important thing is when you do have time away from your computer, you're not going to get anything done just running circles in your head. And so put that on pause and really just be present with your kids. That's some great advice. You know, as a father myself, it's very hard to find that work-life balance, but I know, you know, it's about being present all the time. And I know you have done a great job being present not only with your son, but with your partner as well. A lot of the ways I think about this stuff, Jay, is through advice you've given me throughout the years. I mean, like, and I don't want to swear, but there was one thing you said to me a couple of years back that mind fucked me, but it's completely true. It's like, when you think about your relationships with your significant other or with your kids, you've told me several years ago, it's like, this is no different than your business. Like if you think that you don't need to nurture and invest and think through and talk through your relationships in the same way you need to solve all these problems with your business, anyone that thinks that's completely wrong, like it needs all the same care more so than your business does. So you think about that, people out there that think about like, oh, if you're trying to build something very meaningful, you're probably spending 10, 12 hours a day behind a screen, pen to paper, trying to figure out a way to work through some of these problems. Like that's no different than your relationships in your life as well. So you definitely have to balance it because it's not easy to find time for everything. So you have to figure out what's important to you. It's so true. So true. And, and, and leading into the next question, what does strength mean to you? Strength. This is just a big word for me over the last couple of months, because I'm trying to return to a lot of these ways, but strength is like, it comes back to discipline, I think, too. It's like the sign of a, I, I saw this somewhere recently as well, but the sign of a strong, successful man at the end of the day really does come down to a strong, successful person is like, how many things are you willing to do that you don't necessarily want to do on a given basis? And those are like the things that it's like getting off the couch and going for a run. It's like putting in that additional time with your team members that you know need nurturing and you know need to hear your voice and know that they need to hear you asking about what their goals are for the future and what do they need to get out of this and all those types of things. Like you need to make time for the the stuff that may not seem like it's life or death today, but, but the buildup of it is, um, and breaking those bad habits. And so I think, I think strength is the ability to set a goal, understand what it takes to achieve that goal and consistently take steps towards that and not ignore those steps. That's great. That is great. Now, you're very mentally strong. You could just tell that not only from your voice, but just, just knowing you. I'm part of that, what they call that 5 a.m. club. I get up, I do my morning rituals, such as incantations, meditation, morning run, and then an ice shower. To get yourself mentally ready each day, do you subscribe to any morning rituals or anything that you do during the day? Yeah, when I am on it, and there are weeks when I'm on it, and there are weeks when I'm not, yes. And my most productive days by far and I think that if, if I had it my way, like I need two hours every day to start the day. And it's tough when you have a nine month year old baby, but I need to, <laughs> I need two hours to myself every morning in order to put myself in the right mindset so that I am patient with people throughout the day. So I don't lash out. So the stress doesn't become too much because those first two hours for me is okay. If I can get up at 6am and I can get my three or four mile run in and break that sweat. And then I can go through and I can catch up all my emails and I can prepare for all my calls for that day and have my notes written out so that I know for these six calls that I have in these meetings, I have my team. I have all my goals already established. I already know what I need to do going into those 
when I do that in the morning, I am bulletproof. I am sky is the limit. When I wake up at like this morning, I needed, I, I hadn't slept for two days. I needed to get eight, nine hours. And so I didn't wake up until 845 today, but it's definitely for like the, the morning routine is huge and those hours. And this is the one thing I'm kind of bummed about moving out West is like those hours when no one bothers you, when you wake up at 6am out there, it's already 9am on the East coast, people are already bugging you. But if on the East coast, you wake up at 6am, there is not a soul in the world bothering you or 5am. Those are the best hours. That's so true. And it's always important. I always tell people, if you win your morning, you win your day. And how you set yourself, your mind, the first thing in the morning is how your mindset's going to be throughout the day. So Jordan, with all that you've accomplished, what legacy do you want to leave behind? What legacy do I want to leave behind? I mean, I, th- I think in terms of what we're building currently with Hubi, we want to leave a lasting impact on the creator economy. I think we've positioned ourselves in a great, great way to do so. I think in terms of the bigger question of what legacy I as an individual want to leave behind, I mean, I take a lot of pride in the way that my team relies on me. And I take a lot of pride in the fact that I want to deliver for people at the end of the day. And I want to be looked at by my team as as one of the most loyal leaders that they've been around, that they could always come back to me, that they could always rely on me. And I've always operated under the idea that I want to provide value first before ever asking for anything in return from people. And I don't know, for me, it's, it's, it's a combination of loyalty, generosity, love. Those are some of the things that are most important to me. I've operated my team, as you know, as, as sort of an oversized family and team has always been a, a very important concept for me. And the idea of always being a good teammate and what it means to be a good teammate has always been very important to me. But I think that life's tough and it's tough for everyone. So if you can be one of those people in someone's life that they know when times are tough, they can pick up the phone and they can call you. I mean, there's not a lot of people out there that are able to provide that role for people. And so if if I can be there for even my small world in that way, then that's a huge win for me. That's great. That is beautiful. So where can people find you on social media? Jordan Taylor across all socials, HO.be. That's our website. That's our social across all platforms, but most active on Instagram for me. Well, Jordan, it was an honor to have you on the show and congratulations on all of your success. Thank you, brother Jay. A lot of thanks to give to you on all of it. Thank you, Jordan. That does it for today's episode. Thanks to Jordan for coming on the show and showing us how a modern day CEO defines strength. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. And we'd love to hear from you. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength, presented by MuscleTech.